Hello, and welcome to another episode of Sight in the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 19, which is titled Love's Labor Lost, a.k.a. why the fuck didn't Anthony Edwards win a Golden Globe for this one? <laughs> this episode aired on March 7th, 1995. Lauren, what was going on this week, 25 years ago? This year, we've got the 37th Grammys, with record of the year being taken by All I Want to Do by Cheryl Crow, a favorite in this household. Song of the Year, Streets of Philadelphia by Bruce Springsteen. He is the boss. Best New Artist is Cheryl Crow, who just played for the 2020 ball drop on ABC. I was very confused. Good for her. And Album of the Year was MTV Unplugged for Tony Bennett. <laughs> I feel like that's kind of cheating because it's not like an original songs album. I don't know. It's Grammys. They're basically pointless. Simpsons has made many better jokes than I could. Yep. Um, and along with this, we've also had the 21st People's Choice Awards with Tim Allen and Roseanne Barr taking Best Male and Female TV p- Performers respectively. Oh, they the 90s were a simpler time. I have one word for that. Yikes. Yikes. And then Dumb and Dumber takes back the number one spot at the box office in its 12th week in theaters. And Take a Bow by Madonna claims the number one spot on the music charts. Okay, so for this week's episode, we've got 34.4 million viewers down just ever so slightly from our 35 million last week. We still haven't hit our high point. That's coming, uh, I think, maybe next week. If not, it's probably the week after, but um, 34.4 million for this week. And just a couple of uh, quick notes before we get into the episode proper. Uh, This episode was directed by Mimi Letter. uh, Again, her fifth episode already. We're at episode... So she's directed just just over a quarter of the episodes so far. uh, Out of 11 that she'll eventually do. And and it was also written by uh, Lance Gentile. Sure. Did we ever get a... Gentile. Yeah, (laughs) did we ever get a confirmation on this? Probably not. But whoever you are, sir, hopefully we... Didn't push your name too bad. Um, and also, uh, this episode won five Emmy awards. So this this is a this is like one of like the best episodes of the season. Like by far, it's the highest rated one on IMDb. It's the yeah, and it's the one that won multiple awards, but none for Anthony Edwards. <laughs> the Emmys that it won were outstanding editing for a series, single camera production. Outstanding sound editing for a series, outstanding sound mixing for a drama series, outstanding writing for a drama series, and outstanding directing for a drama series. All for this episode specifically. And little baby Carter, Noah Wiley, was sick with mono while he was filming this episode, which I have several questions about why they would let him on a set with mono. But if you, uh, but I tried to look for this during the actual episode. I didn't really notice anything, so good on the costume folks for making it blend in seamlessly. Apparently he had IV bags for his medications and for rehydrating while he was in his pants pockets while during the shoot. True. So dedicated. Yeah. Props for the dedication. Well, maybe that explains why I have Carter looks like he's about to pass out sprinkled throughout this episode (laughs) so many times. It's not great acting. He's just really fucking sick. He's got fucking mono. All right. And then we uh, poor, sorry, poor Carter. I can't get over that. But we open to Doug and Mark playing catch in the ambulance bay. This doesn't seem to be safe at all. 
And also, this ambulance bay doesn't seem to be used for very long. Am I right that in the next season or two, we're going to switch to the one we see way more often? Yeah. Well, I mean, and we that's the weird thing is that we've already sort of seen the one... Like, they've, they've only just recently switched to this ambulance bay we've seen in the last few episodes. In the early part of the season, like, the pilot, which maybe that has something to do with the fact that the pilot was filmed at an actual hospital. Maybe they maybe they designed the set after that hospital's ambulance bay. I don't know. But it, right. it does feel like we've already seen the ambulance bay that we know. Like, when I think of the ambulance bay, I think of that scene of Jerry walking in from the snow and coming in through those main doors. Right, yeah. Laughing all the way, ha, ha, ha. That's what I think of. So that's, I just, I find it weird that we just keep seeing this one. I'm wondering when it's going to consistently switch over to the more common one. Yeah, same. And then, to prove my point about safety, or lack thereof, we get a driver speeding into the ambulance bay, and Mark's like, Doug! Doug! And Doug's like, what? Afraid, is that too far away for you to catch? And Mark goes, Car! This asshole is speeding in, the back door of the car opens, and a body rolls out. And before we get over to him, we have our first trauma, quote-unquote. And this one bugged the fuck out of me, because Mm -hmm. JK, it's still Mama Benton from last episode. And it appears we're continuing on just that continuity from that last one, but completely different. Because fuck the emotional impact of the last scene of last episode, I guess. Um... You know, in the last episode, he was in shock. He couldn't say anything. Carter was taking charge, doing big boy things, and actually, like, treating and, you know, getting the care plan going. And now it's all Benton in this one. Now he's the one calling the shots and doing Benton things and, (laughs) you know, trying to get, like, the head of orthopedics down to, yeah, to assess his mama and... Yeah, and she was also hardly awake, and now she's, like, all squirming with pain and talkative, and... Yeah, the whole... It's it's basically, take the last scene of episode 18, and we're just the complete opposite. And it feels like Mark had just gone home at the end of his... At the end of the last episode, mm-hmm. and it was, like, the middle of the night, and Jen had just left him, and now it's morning, and he's playing get, catch with Doug like nothing happened. Like, you think you would tell that to Doug. Yeah. Like... It's just time continuity errors abound. And yeah, Benton yells at Carter when he's trying to help. Carter just sort of shrugs and walks away into the next trauma room. Can I share my BS time skip theory here that I mentioned in our uh, group chat? Go ahead. So my only thinking for why the hell this justifies Mark being here and awake and playing catch as if nothing had happened to his life, that part I can't justify unless he's just really good at hiding things. But... When Benton wakes up to his mom, we had been told the night before by Walt that, oh, she likes her medicine promptly at 6 a.m. So I'm thinking maybe Mama Benton's fall is the morning after Mark gets left. And that's why, like, it's now morning. Like, the Mark and Jen interaction takes place at, say, like, you know, 9, 30, 10 o'clock. And Mama Mama Benton falls at 6 and... And she's brought into right. the ER at 630. I mean, I could, I guess I could see that. You know, it's, you know, it, to me, the way the whole scene read was like, you know how when they have like in a Marvel movie or something, when they'll do like, you know, a callback to a previous movie and they'll just reshoot the scene. But like everybody's, right. everybody's a little bit older and haircuts are a little bit different and stuff doesn't quite 100% look like it should from it, the source material. Like that's sort of what this was like. It was sort of just like, we're going to do the same fucking scene we did at the end of the last episode 
but we're just going to change and tweak and nothing's going to quite match up and yeah i was i was trying to give reason to madness yeah it's just it's just a strange place to start like i i don't I, I mean i know we did sort of end on a cliffhanger last time and and i could understand their desire to follow up on that but this is so far and away a green episode like this is a green episode through and through and the, there's almost no need to follow up on the mama benton stuff here like i could see their impulse to want to do it but it's just like you almost don't need it and we we see as we go forward here that they dispense with that storyline pretty quickly like they lose interest in it rather fast in favor of the more interesting green storyline well and if you're gonna do it why not do a cold open with the mama benton stuff and then transfer to the hospital bay and then go right into trauma too. Right, yeah, yeah. Just something about the way they start off. It's Because this is actually, I don't want to like make it seem like I don't like this episode. This is a great episode. This is fantastic and deserves all the accolades it gets. I think I mentioned in the tease for this in last week's episode, like this is in 1997, I think, TV Guide did a list of like the 100 best TV episodes of all time. This came in number three behind, uh, and not best episodes of ER the series, best episodes of any television show ever. This came in number right. three behind, I think, an episode of Mary Tyler Moore and an episode of I Love Lucy. So, like, this was, this deserves every every bit of praise that it gets, but it does start off on a very awkward note. For sure. It's a very odd beat to begin with. Um, so then we go from Mama Benton to Carter being kicked the fuck out and just rolling his eyes, going into the next trauma over which is where we get how i have it clumsily written in our notes car drop off dude (laughs) mark is definitely using this as a teaching moment for carter and deb asking what next steps should be once they've established basic vitals just very patient with them i love when he was just like "Eh, wrong answer try again it's it's a cute moment within a trauma um and that's going to be a continuing theme throughout this episode and one that i absolutely love yes and is mark actually stepping up and through all this chaos, he's getting Carter and Deb involved. He's getting them, you know, even when even when shit goes so far south towards the end of the episode, you know, tragically, they're still in there helping. They're still doing something. Right. They're still Carter's holding a head of a baby and he's holding up he's holding a, a blood vein he's holding the aorta in a cracked open womb. He is spoilers. Um <laughs> You know, they're getting involved. Right. And Mark is letting them be involved. Right. If this, I feel like if this was Benton that was leading this charge, they would have been kicked out forever ago. Within minutes. Exactly. But yeah, so we don't get, we don't learn much about this trauma right now. We just establish, okay, Mark's in control. He's going to teach Carter and Deb. And we just know this guy's screwed up. We don't know much else about it right now. And then we do a quick switch back over to trauma one with Mama Benton. And Hale is trying to undress Mama Benton to get her taken care of, get some vitals, you know. I think she's trying to put on EKG stickers, potentially, Mm -hmm. or check for any abrasions. Just get her into a medical gown, just to make everything easier. Yep, and uh, Mama Benton is fussing and is just really distraught, and Hale's like, you know, Miss Benton, we we need to do this so we can take care of you. And Mama Benton, bless this actress's heart, just goes, please, not in front of Petey. Mm-hmm. And Hale looks at him and he's like, and she's just like, get out. Your mom doesn't want to be naked in front of you. Get out. We've got her. And to his credit, he actually leaves. Yeah. The only time Benton listens to anybody in this fucking episode. (laughs) Yeah. So, and then we jump back over quickly to 
the other trauma, the gunshot wound, um, which we discover he's got a gunshot wound to the back. I guess we didn't know he was a gunshot wound, but, you know, it's kind of assumed at that point. You know, he's got, he got dumped out of the back of a car, uh, but he's got no pulse. He needs CPR. They're going to crack his chest doing a thoracotomy. The CPR is, you know, like we've seen a lot throughout the, the course of the series to this point, the CPR is pretty weak, and that's kind of the most consistently immersion-breaking uh, thing in the show is the the lack of quality in the CPR, but this is no different. Um, and we did note, too, that in later seasons, we would actually get to see them perform a thoracotomy. Like, we would actually get to see them crack open the chest and get in there and do what they need to do. Here, it's more of a, like telling without showing type of thing like you're we know what they're doing they're kind of walking us through it verbally but we're not actually seeing the procedure being done in graphic detail that would come much later um but in these earlier seasons i think they were still trying to figure out what they could get away with then we cut back over to benson and his mama ben is talking to the chief of orthopedics saying he demands that this guy does the surgery and the chief is rightfully pissed because it's like it's just a lady with a broken hip. Like he, she doesn't care. He doesn't care that it's Benton's mom. Like that's good for Benton, I guess. But like, you know, he it's an ER case that's easily handed off to a resident, and he gets all super pissy at Benton. Yeah, dude, totally calls him out on it. Says he's way over the line. Tells him to basically back the fuck off. Like he's like, okay, we're gonna have this person do the surgery. I'll be there. And then Benton's like, are you actually gonna be doing the surgery or what? Like, just asking, like, yeah. like rapid-firing off all these questions, and then he says, oh, I'm just gonna scrub it. I'll be fine. And then dude's like, fuck, no, you won't. <laughs> like... Back off. Yeah, like, learn your place, young man. Dude is way older than him. Yeah. So, I always love to see that. I always like to see Benton put in his place a little bit. Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, and I also just... I, I just love how Benton's like, well, are you gonna be the one holding the scalpel? Like, Calm the fuck down. This guy knows what he's doing. You're gonna have somebody trusted on this surgery. You're fine. So then after after our intro, we snap back to a gentleman with a lot of tattoos, and it turns out that he had tried to sand off a diabetic sore on his bicep, and just, ugh, it looks so bad, and just, you can see the, ta- the tattoos all ripped up underneath it, and Mark's so funny, he goes, you may have to do a graft, but you know, you could move that serpent head over here, because he's looking for any inch of clean skin that they could put where this guy damaged it, and he's like, yeah, you can move the serpent head here, and the guy's like, put a serpent head on the head of, on the body of a goddess? Just absolutely horrified. (laughs) And I'm thinking, yeah, if I had paid hundreds of dollars for all of this artwork, and they're saying, no, just, just move this to another piece, No. He's I'd be incredulous joking. too. I know, but I'm just saying the guy takes him seriously for a minute. Yeah, and Lauren says we have tattoos. We have nowhere near the amount that this guy does. We only, I have four, and how many do you have? Seven. All right. One, two. <laughs> yeah, seven. All right. So, Had to count. Sorry. Not exactly covered in them like this gentleman. All right, and then after that, we have uh, Carter and Mark walking down a hall, just having a conversation about. Mark's recent promotion? Th- question mark? So, let's give that a lesson. Did you eat lunch? No, the cafeteria is already closed. Voila. Thank you. Hey, word's out. You're gonna be an ER attending. Congratulations. Well, it's not a lot. Can I wear your pen? Yeah. Lifetime of this, huh? Oof. Well, you know, the ER, it's great. Free time's your own. What free time? Well, after residency. 
You get skilled in every aspect of medicine. You mm -hmm. see a variety of cases. Mm -hmm. You have an immediate effect upon your patients' lives. <laughs> but mainly, it's, uh, it's like joining the circus. I just find it funny. So this clip is great because it just it shows that further teaching bond between Mark and Carter, which is always wonderful to see. But also as a punchline to Mark's final line about, you know, oh, it's like joining the circus. It's right as the elevator doors open and a gentleman in a sparkly dress is being wheeled out. <laughs> and then we check in on Benton, who is frantically pacing the wait the surgery waiting room with just this little kid watching him. And his stress and his shame at this situation is just palpable. Like, he can't settle, he can't be still because he feels and kind of knows that this is his fault. Yeah, and then from there we get our we get our couple for the episode, which I feel like I'm not even watching the episode, but I already have, like, the knot in my stomach that I had the whole time I was watching this episode. It's already, it's back. So we have a young, soon-to-be parents here, uh, Sean and Jody O'Brien, Jody, the pregnant woman, she is played by an actress named Colleen Flynn, who's um, not really a super well-known actress. I mean, she doesn't have a ton of stuff on her IMDb. Um, the most famous credits I could find besides this were X-Files and Judging Amy. Um, but the husband or the father, um, he was much more readily recognizable. Like, I recognized his face right away. And it was young uh, baby Bradley Whitford uh, of Yay. West Wing and other things. Um, I, I didn't even bother writing down anything after West Wing because I knew that was going to be like the main <laughs> thing that, <laughs> that the two of you would know him from. And Get Out. Yes, Get Out. That was the other thing. See, whereas I first saw him in Billy Madison. I was going to say, that's the other oh, one I was thinking right. of too. Is even... He's the dick bag that Billy goes up against in Billy Madison. So, yeah. So as I said, they're, they're going to be kind of our main focus for this episode they are they're going to be green's patient and or well, yeah she's going to be green's patient um, and we're going to be sticking with them the rest of the time pretty much baby is due in two weeks uh, mother's had frequent urination problems and it burns when she pees she's got some a um, little bit of a stomach ache no cramping or vaginal bleeding so at this point mark's not overly concerned with it um, you know sends off for some urinalysis but this is like I already like I'm feeling that like tension and that you know just kind of dread already creeping in here because this this whole episode is just like this is the episode where everything is fine until it's not and it's just awful it's just the snowball effect yeah I just have to say I love Bradley Whitford and this this episode really made me want to rewatch the West Wing and we have a quick random flavor patient here. Just another little side one. Carter is an ex is examining an older gentleman. I think it's for like a cognitive test. Just like follow my finger with your eyes. Press your face against my hand. Squeeze your eyes shut real tight. Open them real wide. And then he's like, okay, show me your teeth. And this, this guy just pulls his dentures out. And Carter's like, no, that's not what I... Ugh, good job. Oh. Like just, just, ugh, okay. So after that, we go back over to Benton, and his family is now in the waiting room outside the operating suites, and, you know, we have a little short clip here that pretty much just sums up everything you could ever need to know about both of their states of mind at this point between him and Jackie. So, here we go. Is Grandma ever going to be able to walk again? Yeah, 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 she's going to be fine. I know what you're thinking, Jackie, so why don't you just go ahead and say it. 
Shut up, Peter. No, no, go ahead and say it. I mean, it's my fault that this happened, right? I'm so pig-headed and self-centered. Peter, right? just shut up and sit down. Just shut up and sit down. Best advice he's ever gotten. Ugh. So yeah, she's clearly having none of anything that he has to say whatsoever. None of his self-pity shit. She's like, it happened. Just let's get through it. Then, quick flip over, we have a teenager being examined by Doug. Um, he was found in a, in a greenhouse, passed out. We don't know much else about what's been going on with him. That's just kind of where we leave him when Doug's checking him out. He will come back shortly. Then we quick hop, hop back over to our power couple for the episode. <sighs> what? <laughs> it's just so sad. We haven't even gotten to the sad part yet. I know, but calling them a power couple, it's just so sad. Anyway, we cut back over to Mark's couple, and uh, Mark is doing more of his edumacation thing, talking with Deb and Carter, and, you know, just sort of guiding them through what your course of treatment for for something like this is, you know, telling what antibiotic to use for infections, for bladder infection, the one she's so close to the end of her pregnancy, you know, basically they just, they accurately diagnose or what we think is a bladder infection. It's really much more complicated than that, but we'll get there soon. Yeah. But just more of Mark being awesome. I just, (laughs) this episode is full of so many weird little flavor patients at the at the front half. I think they were just trying to front load all the absurdity. So when they get to the marathon, that is the back half, we'd be like, oh, well, we still got some weird shit. Yeah, because the back half of the episode is literally the entire back half of the episode, at least, if not more, right. is just Josh Lyman and his waifu. Right, because from them diagnosing and discharging the O'Briens, we go over to Doug, Mark, and Carter at the nurse's station, and this little old lady walks up and is like, could you sign a get well card? And Doug's like, yeah, sure, for who? She's like, well, for me okay like just super weird stuff like that and then jerry walks over and he's like hey i got a chart here for some hemorrhoids and doug's like nope and just bounces it to carter and walks away sounds like a you problem sounds like a you problem not me and then right as he does that we find out greenhouse kid is crashing and frothing at the mouth he's incontinent and we learn that the dad works at the wrigleyville nursery with his son and He's like, oh, with kids? And the guy's like, no, with plants, you idiot. Like, <laughs> it's essentially the tone he uses. Um, and we find out that this kid has insecticide poisoning. So he's probably going to be okay, but he's just got a whole bunch of crap in his system. Not great. And then as that happens, we, we swoop out to Deb and Carter talking. And Deb just goes, everyone is so old and sick around here. Carter just goes, this is a hospital. Like... <laughs> The fuck do you think? Yeah. How'd you think it was going to be? Kind of a weird out of character line for her. I think she was just not feeling it that day. Yeah. It's a mood. Then after that, we get the first set of problems uh, with Mr. O'Brien and his wife. Uh, Mr. O'Brien runs back into the ER, like shouting that Jody's passed out in the, in the parking lot and, you know, screaming for Dr. Green, just, and then just generally screaming for any help, actually. And it gets Carter and Deb see and mm-hmm. start to run out to get the wife 
And so then we check back in with Benton, who has decided to, you know, just Leroy Jenkins his way into the OR and <laughs> <laughs> goes, goes bursting in or goes into the, the change room, starts changing into scrubs and, and uh, scrubbing in, tries to go through the door and the surgeon from before stops him says take one more step and i'll have your ass hanging on my wall right next to your register residency don't test me get out and you know just having benton be not in control is such a nice change of pace like i'm sorry that it has to come at the expense of mama benton's health but like it's so nice to see him finally have to just like sit down and shut the fuck up for a minute very much so and i love this guy's attitude that he says it was just you have your ass on my wall right next to your resident <laughs> residency. Get out. <laughs> Just taking 0% of Benton's bullshit. And I love it. Then we cut back down to uh, Mrs. O'Brien being wheeled into a trauma room where she will spend quite a while. Carter escorts Mr. O'Brien back away from the trauma because, you know, she had a seizure and they're really not sure, like, what the fuck is up. So, like, you know, if she has another she- seizure, spoiler alert, she does. You know, they don't want him holding her hand or something like that. They don't want him getting hurt, too, um, or potentially hurting her more, so... And also clearing back out of the way so they can actually do their jobs. Yeah, and someone in the background just, like... I don't know if this is just, like... Maybe this is just because we had uh, captions on when we watch on Hulu, just so we make sure we catch all the lines and because I have hearing issues. But there was a random uh, little subtitle that said... Someone in the background said, Get your coffee yet? And you can actually hear it when you go back and rewind. Like, they clearly say it, but it's not, like, a main line that would have been mixed in a way that it would have been brought to your attention. But it's definitely there. Which I feel like that might be someone talking from, like, the crew or something. No, I, I think it's a nurse just shooting the shit as they're, like, scrubbing in to deal with her. Yeah, I, now that now that you mention it, I, I didn't make note of it at the time, but now that you mention it, I think you're right. I think it is, like, it's a nurse talking to one of the other nurses, like, because it's... Again, it goes, this is the episode where everything's fine until it's not, you know, so everything's (laughs) routine and everything's just like ho-hum, like, oh, did you get your coffee yet? And then like, you know, shit just continually burns down from here. Yeah, but we figure out the wife has eclampsia, which uh, is described to Mr. O'Brien later. I just kind of want to call him Josh Lyman. We can call him Josh Lyman. It's fine. They know who we're talking about. Yeah. Mr. Whitford, (laughs) whatever. I just wish we had Josh Lyman in the White House now, but that's another episode. That's another for another episode. We need a Leo. Yes. We need all of them. I know. It's a liberal's wet dream. Anyway. <laughs> but which we find out later as described to Mr. O'Brien. That is uh, blood vessels going into spasm, leading to a lack of oxygen, oxygen in the brain, leading to seizures. And it's related to pregnancy. So, yeah, not good. So, like, right on cue... Mrs. O'Brien goes right into a seizure, and Lauren, how'd they do this time? Well, I have to say, this one was not as terrible as far as the performances go. She wasn't overacting the motion. She wasn't thrashing uncontrollably. She had a good repetitive motion of the clenching and unclenching of the muscles. Not overdone, because sometimes they really ham it up, and it's like, nah, that's, no, it's, it's not like that. I still don't know how to feel about the bite blocks. I still need to look in and see if those are still a medically appropriate option for when someone is seizing in a hospital. 
I don't personally like the idea of them because I don't want people putting anything in my mouth while I'm having a grand mall. You, you mean specifically in 1995? Yeah. Like, would like, they still have been the... a thing that would have been in hospitals back then? Well, I want to know then, and I also am curious about currently. I, but I that's can't not, imagine that's neither they here are nor now. There. And then you hear, I think it's Mark who says restrain her because her seizing has caused her IVs to start to come out. Yeah, one is uh, infiltrated, which means there's blood in the line. The other one's just been ripped clean out. Yeah, because turns out when you're seizing, you can't exactly control how you're going to pull your IVs. Exactly. So Mark and, you know, just doing Mark Green things, uh, manages to get a line in her jugular in her neck. Like, yeah, and gets the medicine that she needs in to stop the seizure, and she relaxes, and thankfully for now that the unborn child is still okay, has a good heartbeat. I do have to say, I definitely made a very disgusting noise and shrieked when I looked and saw that they had put an IV in her neck. I was like, did they just put that in her jugular? And Liz was like, yeah, why wouldn't they? Well, Mark's a badass, that's why. ah, No, Uh, I'm just thinking of how that would feel. I hated enough having them in my hands. I mean, she wouldn't know. She was unconscious. She was post-ictal. No, she wasn't post-ictal yet. I know. But by the time... Well, no, by the time they put it in, she was done. No, because they put it in, and that's how they got the medicine to curb off. Okay, you're right. To stop the seizure. You're right. But I'm saying, she will be post-ictal and still passed out and won't, won't give a shit. I just like knowing the word post-ictal. <laughs> Girl, you fancy. Mm-hmm. There's one good thing that's come out of my epilepsy. It's, I know the word post-ictal. <laughs> cool. Daniel, uh, what happens next? All right. So then we go out into the hallway, um, which I don't know if we mentioned earlier. Susan, when she left at the beginning of all of this, uh, at the you know beginning of the episode, she leaves, and Mark actually says to her on the way out, I'll make sure to have the place cleared out for you by the time you come back, which, spoiler, he does not, but she comes back in, and she's basically trying to tell him to go home, that she'll take it from here, but he says that, no, he wants to stay and see her through to the delivery because of missing the preeclampsia, that he feels badly about it, and he just wants to see her through, which is admirable. Um Probably should have taken Susan's advice, though, given what we know happens later. So we also jump over and see Mark and Carter examining uh, Jody and the baby. Mark's, again, teaching Carter how to do a baby checkup and exam. And the poor poor Bradley Whitford, he just looks so devastated, like just worried and like just he is frazzled this whole episode and for good reason. Uh, Mark checks in with the OB resident who we're going, or not the OB resident, but the OB attending who we'll be meeting later in the episode, um, who says that she will be there within the hour. Um, and there is an OB resident on call, but he is functionally useless and like (laughs) does not actually help at all. He does have sort of a familiar looking face to him. I looked him up. He is no one of note. This is literally one of his two acting credits ever. Um, so he's nobody like, I didn't even bother writing down his name because he's so insignificant. Like he has a bit part in a movie that comes out, I think in 97 that I've never heard of. And he doesn't even not, he does not play a large role in it. Like his, his credit in it is like bartender or something. So he's like nobody, but the OR attending or the OB attending, excuse me, that, um, 
Green speaks with on the phone, she, Dr. Coburn, she advises that uh, Jody should deliver soon, given everything they, everything that has occurred up to this point. So Mark uh, decides that you know probably is you know goes with Dr. Coburn's advice and advises them that they should you know do a trial of labor, see if we can see if we can't pop that kid out as soon as we can, just to make sure everything is hopefully make sure everything is good. Uh, she still wants to deliver naturally, so they're not going so. They're going to uh, induce her pregnancy, give her some drugs for that. You know, the O'Briens are all super down for it. You know, let's get this baby out. You know, baby's old enough, you know, developed enough to be healthy outside the womb. So that's not really a super concern quite yet. Yeah, so they'll start the process down here and then, in theory, bring her up to OB to finish delivery. And, God, pregnancy just looks awful. Like... Nope. Just her, just <laughs> her already being in pain and just everything. Maybe she's selling it really well, I think. Oh yeah. yeah based on the what, based on everything else that I've seen. I mean, obviously I'm trans. I've never been pregnant, and my partner and my partner has never been pregnant either. I have nightmares about it, but so far in real life, no, I have not been pregnant. Yeah. Skip forward just a little bit, and the couple is talking about baby names while Mark is checking in on seeing how that uh, induction is going along. So let's have a little conversation with them. How frequent are the contractions? Every 10 minutes or so. Oh, okay, let's have Dr. Green decide. You're kidding. We can't call him baby X when we call our parents. All right, let's take a quick look. Okay. Okay. It's five centimeters dilated, 90% effaced, station minus two, membranes intact. You want to look too? Man. Why not? Everybody else has been poking around in there. Here. Hmm. Ian Patrick Dermot. Sons of the Castafinian's rainbow. Ow! Sorry. Hunter? Hunter O'Brien? You agree with my assessment? Uh, yeah. Your labor is progressing along nicely and quickly. The baby's doing great. Is it normal for the baby's heart rate to be going down like that? As long as it's only briefly and it stays over 120. Jared's on both lists. Uh, oh, it's not my favorite, no. Compromise is the soul of marriage. Jared, it is. Jared. Jared's. Sure. Yeah. Mark is the last person who should be lecturing anyone about compromise. <laughs> I was just about to say. Took the like, words right out of my fucking mouth. Yeah, it's like, it's fucking hilarious that Mark, who just lost his wife. <laughs> right? Like and a, Dispensing uh, marriage truths. Apparently has forgotten that fact. Season worked out really well for there, you there, buddy. Yikes. But other than that, Jared O'Brien. I think yeah. it's a nice name. It's lovely. Uh, and then we we start to see these timestamps here. I'm not sure if they had come in a little bit earlier in the episode, but this is where they start to become very prominent. So you'll hear us referring through a lot of timestamps now because that's really how the rest of the episode is sectioned off. We go to we start with 11:47 p.m. Uh, Susan is checking with Mark. Like, why is the OB case still here? Like, I thought we were. I thought she was going up to OB. Why is why is she still down in the ER? And Mark's like, oh, OB is just taking forever to come get her. And then uh, 
Sean runs in and is like, oh no, the baby's heart rate dropped down to 90. And he only knows that this is important because Mark earlier had told him when he asked a question about what was on one of the monitors, he was like, oh, that's the baby's heart rate. It should stay between 120, 160. And it was at 140. So he was like, oh, so it's perfect. And so now it's at 90. He's running out because he's nervous and wants Dr. Green to come check. And then we get our last little distraction from our uh, pregnant couple over here. We go back up to Mama Benton and she's out of surgery and everything looks okay. She's obviously still unconscious from the sedation. You know, Benton's like, okay, what are her post-op orders? What is, what's this? What is that? And then the surgeon, who I don't really... Do we see her again? I don't think so. I'm pretty sure this is a one-off. She's like she maybe she says to Benton, uh, she may be your mother, but she's my patient. We're taking her to the OR elevator. She's going to six oh four. And the way they have like dramatic music playing behind that, it makes it seem like it's like, oh no, this is some like dramatic death sentence or something. Like, oh my god. And especially after Jackie comes over and says, This is bound to happen sooner or later, Peter. They make it seem like she's dying. I don't know. The whole thing just seems a little over dramatic. Mm -hmm. particularly yeah i think it's more just like it's a wake-up call for all of them that like she really should have been in a care facility i think that's more what it is right it's his failure oh fuck i didn't like i didn't listen to my gut feeling and she was bound to hurt herself because she doesn't have adequate care whereas peter's just standing over here with shocked pikachu face i want i want somebody to photoshop that (laughs) benton with with shocked pikachu face so we get another timestamp. It's 12.45 a.m. now, so it's about, about an hour since the last time we checked in. Jody's asking for an epidural. Uh, they shock the baby to wake him back up, <laughs> which sounds much more uh, like awful than it really was. It was... It doesn't. <laughs> reading that off the page sounds awful. It's not really shocking him. It's just a little instrument that just goes buzz on her belly. Right, yeah. It's just kind of like to, hey, wake up. So, okay, this is my blinking you miss it, like, little thing in here that actually I was really proud of myself for catching. So they ask for an epidural, so an anesthesiologist comes in. And when I say blinking you miss it, I mean, you get maybe like a half second glimpse of this guy's face as he comes in. And it's just like, hey, I'm the anesthesiologist. Like, it's super quick. But I looked and I was like, hmm. That looks kind of like the guy from The 40-Year-Old Virgin. And sure enough, I went and looked at IMDb. It is the guy from 40-Year-Old Virgin. So my question is, uh, actor's name is uh, Shelley Malil, by the way. My question for the both of you is, A, did you see 40-Year-Old Virgin? And B, do you remember uh, Steve Carell's like Middle Eastern uh co-worker not the not the little guy with the beard who's like always making dirty jokes but like his like kind of angrier younger um middle eastern co-worker yes and no i did see it and i do not remember okay yeah uh same with me yes i have seen it multiple times but not in quite a while because awkward comedy and me don't get along these days sure and no I do not know who this is. Okay. So there's a character in 40-Year-Old Virgin, and I'm blanking on the name here, the, the character's name. But basically, he's one of Steve Carell's like, co-workers at the little like Circuit City type store that he works at. Um, and he's got a couple of bit lines with him and scenes with him. Uh, Haziz, that's the character's name, is Haziz. And if you go back and watch like 
it'll be definitely one of those like, oh, hey, it's that guy moments. But the most interesting thing about this or the most terrible thing about this is that this anesthesiologist character, the actor who plays him, is doing life in prison currently. (gasps) What? Yes, he is doing life in prison for murdering his ex-wife. So, yeah. So I think we have our first convicted murderer on the show. (laughs) We have our first... I hopefully that's not too much of a trend. Although with how many background characters there are in this show, it's bound to come up eventually. Right? Who knows? Yeah. But yeah, if you like, like I said, blink and you miss him in this episode. But he is—he's. It's definitely the same guy, and he is definitely doing life in prison. So. Jesus. We. So that's fucking scary. I'm excited to hear what other um, arrested individuals we end up <laughs> with later down the line. But for now, it's 2:30 a.m. Susan's in checking on Miss O'Brien. It's just like, how's how's that epidural? And she's like, it's pretty all right. I get it now. I understand. And um, they're putting a sensor into her uterus to keep better track of the baby's heart rate and just contraction and contractions and everything that are going on. And Carter's down, just looking fascinated as they put the sensor in. And she goes, enjoying the show? <laughs> he goes, yeah. I, I mean, no, like sweet baby Carter. Just he, he just means, yeah, it's fascinating that. Yeah, I'm enjoying looking up your hoo-ha. And then Carol goes to light a fire under someone's button OB to Paige Coburn because they still like nobody from OB has been down yet. Mm. So like, ER is just doing the best with what they have. Nobody from OB has been down to check on them. You can just feel the desperation building too every time they go back and like, where's OB? <sighs> I like I just I feel like I feel dreaded like I feel that sense of dread as we're going through this and I'm not even watching it. So next timestamp we get 3:15 a.m. 45 minute time jump here. Uh, Mark's on the phone with Ob again, saying she's and I should stress at this point too. Mark is not panicking yet. Like he's he's impatient. He wants her, but at this point it's more of a like an annoyance and a like. I just kind of want to get this off my plate kind of thing. It's not, he has not graduated to full on like anxiety about the situation. He's still on top of it at this point. And I feel like that's a very important thing to note. Cause like a big part of what makes his performance in this episode so good is that like gradual slow burn to where he is on top of it. Like I said earlier, like everything's fine until the second that it's not, he's on top of things this whole time until the very split second that he is not. And you can just see that everything is on top of him, um, which is what we're building towards here. But so he tells, you know, the OB that he, he's on the phone with that she's inches away and that the epidural is starting to wear off. We go back inside the room and Jody's telling Bradley Whitford, you know, the fantasy you have about me quitting work, staying home and having a bunch of kids. Well, you could forget it. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, fuck that noise. Yeah. Which, I mean, what do you say to that as the dude in that situation? Like, okay like i'm i can't do that so you're in charge here but uh mark comes back in directs that it's time to push tells carter to run out and get carol she is just full on uh jody uh, is just full on yelling at bradley whitford at this point like just <laughs> she goes full like mama bear and just starts yelling Carol is, you know, kind of barking out or it's just chaos in this room, like just absolute chaos. Lydia's in there. Carol is in there. They've got her switching positions, doing all sorts of like different strategies, trying to get this baby out. 
Um, and like I said, this is where we start to kind of transition from, you know, Mark has got control of the situation to now it's starting, that control is starting to slip away. You know, we're doing a lot of fade outs, trying to illustrate the passage of time over this delivery. Like it's, it's just, it's not going well. You know, she's not progressing. Baby's heart rate's starting to drop. Um, he pulls a needle out to provide an injection. I, I, I don't even remember what the injection was for. Was it to like boost her epidural or something like that? I think it was, I think it was, um, they were going to inject her cervix or something to help relax the tissue. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was some, <laughs> it was something like that. Yeah. But it's, I, I, I have comments on this after this next wave of stuff. It's insane. Like it's a huge fucking needle and like <laughs> no better illustrated than when he pulls it out and they kind of do like a cross focus to Deb as she's kind of in the eyesight of it and her eyes just get huge when she sees how big it is. Then we have our next timestamp, which is 4.13 a.m., so hour later. Carter is just booking it down the stairs with a uh, set of uh, forceps from OB. You know, says that they have three C-sections and a bunch of, and a, few, a couple other deliveries going on, so there's no way that they can take her upstairs. So they're like, okay, this is going to be risky, but it's like, you know, we got to make sure that this baby gets out okay. You know, he's like, hey, the quote is, I brought her this far. I'm going to see it through. Because, you know, remember, at this point, he's been on for almost, he's been on for 21 hours now. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they start to try to deliver the baby, and its shoulder gets stuck. And we'll have some audio here in a second. But I believe you had a comment <laughs> that you wanted to make. I just want to say this part was where I really wanted to vomit, because having had an IUD inserted... That almost made me vomit and faint. Like, they had to give me graham crackers and juice after that. I don't want anything of this magnitude going on anywhere near my business ever. Like, this is a nightmare. This is absolute, just no. Yeah. And this next clip I do have, uh, just be a little warmed. It is three minutes long, so. But I feel like, honestly, out of anything that we've had so far on this show, I think this sort of captures best the like the controlled chaos of everything and just the general chaos of like emergency situations. Plus there's some good, some good lines from, from Bradley Whitford in there as well. And some good acting in there. And it's just, I love it. I love this episode and this is a big reason why. So let's give that a listen. Got two C-sections and three-month deliveries. No one will blame you if you wait for a B. The baby monitor says now or never. Why put your ass on the line? Because I've come this far, I'm going to see it through. <laughs> Where's Coburn? In transit. What a shit. Coming by camel. Get her, BP. BP's still climbing. 150 over 100. Go, Mark. Baby's writing down. Okay, oh. now don't push. No, don't push. Before I break the blades, cut a median episiotomy. Head. All right, here comes the head. Get a blanket ready. Damn! Get him out. He's stuck. Shoulder dystocia. What's that? Shoulders hung up on the pubic bone. It's okay, sweetie. It's okay, he's great. Leads off. On the Roberts maneuver. Push your legs up towards your head. Okay, lift your legs. I've got a leg. Here, I've got a leg. Straight up in the air. Straight up in the air. Trying to free your shoulders. Push. Carter, not bundle pressure. Down here. Down here. 
Step page OB! I gotta do something! Uh, let's try Woods. I need to extend the episiotomy. If I can rotate the posterior shoulder immediately. Up, Mark. I love you, babe. Try to deliver the posterior shoulder. Come on. He's jammed in. Come on. Come on. Come on. Why can't you deliver this baby? No, Brian, please. It's not working. Let her, let her go. Let her go. It's not working. Savinelli. What are you doing? Savinelli, we gotta push the baby back in. Then what? Almost over. Oh, we gotta roll around the left side. Susan, get your hand in here. Grab a cesarean tray. Run. Climb on up. Hold her head in. Throw, throw a sheet over. Get her in a trauma one. Find out if Benton's still here. Flash and crash. Okay. Where are you taking him? We gotta do an emergency C-section. I need your consent. What the hell are you doing? Have you ever done this before? I've scrubbed him many times. Doug, I want somebody else in here. Look, we can't wait. If we wait five more minutes, your baby's brain dead. Oh my god. Go, go, go! Do it! Keep moving. Mr. Brown, please get out of the way. Let him work. Right here. Thank you so much. Put a rush on the bus. Mr. O'Brien. We're almost out of here. I love you, Tony. Right here. Right here. Call respiratory staff. I love you. Come on, Mr. O'Brien. Hey, you love me. I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm right here. God, that just... That kind of sets the tone for the rest of the episode. Yes, I know. I said the name of our <laughs> podcast, but it's a true statement. That just sort of really sets the tone for the rest of the episode just that holy shit everything keeps getting worse and worse and worse and how the fuck do we make it better okay we maybe make it a little bit better oh no we're making it worse oh god oh god oh god oh god yeah we don't even need to record the rest of the episode you just covered it yeah the control is gone well i don't know see i i say that it's gone it's 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 i would say 95 percent gone there's one last little there's one last gasp of mark having the control when they get into the trauma room which we'll cover in a minute but that's the last gasp of it yeah and while they're while they're running her to go do the c-section susan is riding on her to keep the head held in place keep the head held in and the sheet in place and we get into the the operating room or the you know the trauma room. Yeah, trauma room. Yeah, not sorry, trauma room. room. Trauma room. Sorry, we get into the trauma room, and somebody's like, "What about anesthesia?" And he's like, "No time for anesthesia. I'll do a local one." And she starts seizing again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they get that seizure under control, and everyone's being frantic. Deb knocks over a tray of sterile tools, and Mark's like, "Okay, chill the fuck out." Everybody just take a deep breath and starts to give slow and calm and direct direction and very direct directions to everyone. Okay. Carter, go do this. Deb, go do this. You know, go physically drag someone down from OB to help out and just does what he can to try to get at least a little control over the situation. And like Daniel just said, this... You know, he's doing his best. He's trying to be the best leader that he possibly can in a situation where they're all clearly in over their heads. But we'll get there. Yeah, but everyone is still, in fact, in over their heads. And that will come back to bite them here shortly. 
And I just noticed here, when Mark's going to start doing the C-section, there is a nurse or another doctor right next to him, very, very prominent in frame. I don't think he's somebody we've seen before or somebody we ever see again, but he just caught my attention because he's featured so strongly next to Mark. I was like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> like, what's going on? But they, the flesh noise <laughs> as they cut her open to get, like, they cut her abdomen open to get to the womb is just so well foleyed. Yeah. That I, my stomach roils even just thinking about it. Carter looks like he's about to pass out. Again, we now know that might be because he had mono. <laughs> and Mark's... Susan's directly across from Mark as he's doing this, and he goes, you cut across the lower uterus. Or it's, it's some some line like that, where he's, like, trying to talk himself through the procedure. And Susan's like, you're asking me? He goes, no, I'm asking God. <laughs> <sighs> and throughout this whole thing, Deb and Carter look like they're just about to pass the fuck out. Like, as Mark cuts a little deeper and deeper into... Uh, and to Mrs. O'Brien, Carter just is like, oh, God, oh, God. Like, like you sure you want to be a surgeon there, buddy? Like, there's, oh, it's, it's, it's a lot. And there's an abruption in there, it turns out. So, and she, which means there's about two liters of blood just hanging out in her uterus. Mm. And they get the baby out. And little, I forget what his name is now. Jared? Oh, gosh. Jared, yes. yes. And little Jared is very blue and not breathing. So next timestamp we get is at 4.42 a.m. So that puts us only about, what, half an hour after our most recent one. And, you know, as we saw with the last uh, sequence there, I mean, a lot has happened in that 30 minutes. A lot of bad things have happened. Um, there is so much blood, like just an ungodly amount of blood. The baby's still not breathing. Carter's got his hand just clamping on her aorta. Mark is doing an intubation on the baby using the tiniest little instruments. Bradley Whitford is just, like, basically running around all over the place. Just, like, and, and like, yes, a lot of it is physical, but a lot of it is also just what's written on his face. Like, his face acting is very, very strong here. They're doing an umbilical IV to the baby to get blood in... OB doctor finally shows up. That is the uh, aforementioned Dr. Coburn, who is played by an actress named Amy Aquino. Um, and she is actually, she's kind of, she is technically a lifer. Like she will be on the show for all 15 seasons. However, you know, she's only in 26 episodes out of across those 15 seasons. So she's kind of in that like Kaysen tier of character where she's going to pop in occasionally, but she's not going to be a regular character and she'll be with us for, for quite a while. Um, but this is her first appearance. And she comes in and just gives Mark the absolute riot act for not letting her know that he was in over his head, which is kind of unfair. I mean, yes, he was in over his head. Yes, he... You know, I mean, the, the whole situation is just like super fucked up and, and there's blame kind of on all sides here. But she comes in kind of guns blazing and just really really gives Mark the what for when he's kind of already doing that to himself. Like, I feel like nobody feels worse in this situation than Mark does. Yeah. And we get another timestamp then of 5:30 AM. So things are kind of going rapid fire here. And, you know, it seems like Coburn's sort of getting the situation under control. She says, okay, Carson, you can let go of the, uh, yeah. 
Uh, she, oh yeah, she had previously she had previously previously asked, "Who are you and what are you doing?" Because Car- <laughs> Carter was just holding down this woman's aorta inside of her uterus, <laughs> and just to make sh- just to control the bleeding. And yeah, she hops in there and says, "Okay, Carson, you can let go of the aorta." <laughs> so like, completely disrespecting. I do like put no respect on the name. I do like Carter's um, like read though when she first comes in on that like, "Who are you and what are you doing?" He's like. I'm John Carter, medical student, and I'm clamping off this woman's aorta. <laughs> like he's very like deadpan about it, but still manages to find just a little tiny glimpse of humor in a very non-humorous situation. And I appreciate that from Carter because this episode makes me sad. And from there, uh, we have our next audio clip. This one's about two. Let me double check here. Yeah, this one's about two minutes long. It is first part of it is Bradley Whitford. The son has been resuscitated successfully. And they are wheeling him out to uh, go up to OB. Some people actually finally came down from upstairs. Whoa. I know, it's an amazing concept. And then the second part is uh, Mark and sort of read the riot act even more from uh, Dr. Coburn. So let's give that a listen. Wait, 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 wait. Stop. Stop. Looks good. Bleeding stopped. Go talk to the father. Is my baby all right? He was apneic at first, but his five-minute APGAR was very encouraging. Stop hiding behind that damn medical crap! I think your baby's gonna be fine. Let's go. Don't, don't take my son. And Jody? There was bleeding. She's had transfusions, but she's stabilized now. Dr. Coburn, the OB specialist, is in with her now. She's closing the incision. How can this happen? What we need to do right now is get your son upstairs. Now, go, go. Everything's okay, right? Go be with your baby. There's nothing you can do down here. She's gonna be okay, right? She's stabilized. Go with your son. I have never seen such a chain of errors in judgment. I mean, I did what you said. You miss a preeclampsia. You underestimate the fetal weight. I was expecting OB backup. You miss a placental abruption. What? Blood clot right there. You do an ill-advised forceps delivery on a baby that's too big, and then you then you do a hack job of a C-section. Hey, look, it was me in the barrel with a baby going down the tubes. The only thing that saved you from disaster was dumb luck. Yeah, well, if it wasn't for me, the mother would be dead and the baby a vegetable. Who's on OB call? Drake. Mark, she's just covering herself. She was right. It was my screw-up. You were great in there, Mark. Yeah. I couldn't have done that. It was my fault, you know? It was my fault that she went sour. She's my patient. No one is going to blame you. No, they don't have to. She's crashing. Well, shit. Poor Mark. The sound of his voice. Poor Mark. Poor Bradley Whitford. I said poor Mark, poor Bradley Whitford. Sorry, Poor everyone. Da- Sorry, Daniel, I cut you off. No, it's fine. I was just saying the sound of the 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 quivering of Mark's voice, like as he's like trying to process all that, is just like like you said, Anthony Edwards. Just give him give him the Emmy already. Give him something. He deserves all of it. But yeah, we find out that Jody's blood has stopped clotting. How does that even happen? I mean, I, I honestly yeah, know. I know there are clotting disorders where people's blood. Clot or have trouble clotting, or as a result of blood thinners, maybe they gave her blood thinners to keep her from stroking out. Maybe I don't know, 
Maybe. But it's important to note here that as she's crashing, it the time is marked as 5.42 as they start with the defibrillator. Defibrillator. Yeah, and then we have our next cut over to, they just sort of are shocking her and giving her CPR, and then it just sort of transitions into... Clearly, uh, we have our next time stamp at 6.45 a.m., and she's still down. She's still flatlined. She's still... Mark is still wailing on her chest, doing CPR, calling out for different medicines, and... More epinephrine. Yeah, and, like, sweat is just pouring down his face, even more so than it has been, which... Yeah, that's another another thing we failed to mention earlier, just because it kind of gets lost in the shuffle... Mark has been super sweaty for like the last like four hours. He probably needed one of those hydration bags that Carter had in one of his pockets. Yeah. He has a sweaty boy. And, but he is just dripping sweat at this point because he's been doing CPR for so long. And he's like, you know, we can do this. We can do this. It's, that's not, that's, what is that? That's not, I forget the line. Shit, I should have. Had you write down? He said. He said it's not. It's not a total flatline. There's still. There's still some V fib or yeah, something like that. It's fine V fib. So like it's a shockable rhythm. Like, no, it's not. And she's brain dead. She's yeah, gone. And he's like not looking. He doesn't want to look at anyone. Or finally, like refuse. Like refuses to make eye contact with anyone. And then Coburn says, you know, it's thirty minutes past too late, and calls. Unfortunately, time of death six forty six, and Mark is still up there just wailing on her chest and trying to do trying to do cpr and finally makes eye contact with susan long enough to like see it on her face like and get that that's enough to help him sort of calm down and just sort of realize it's useless Mm. and everything just went to shit so quickly and we see Deb and Carter in the background here just staring on in absolute shock. And I'm wondering, is this Deb's first patient loss that we see? Mm, I yeah. think so. Because she looks very distraught. Yeah. It's cer- if it's not her first, it's certainly her worst. Like, it's certainly, this would certainly be, I mean, if her and Carter both, I mean, this would this would definitely, I think, qualify as their most traumatic experience in the ER so far. So then Mark goes up to the NICU to break the news to Mr. O'Brien. Doesn't even, doesn't really wait. Like he pretty much walks right out of the ER or right out of the the trauma room and goes right to the elevator and goes right up to the, the NICU. Like does not, does not waste any time. And the sound design here is so good. Like there's no sound except for the baby crying. So you don't hear him tell Bradley Whitford what happened and you don't you don't hear Bradley Whitford's reaction you just see it and you hear the baby crying and it's just like it's haunting it's this is this is one of the most iconic scenes to me from this show yeah yeah it's up there it's (sighs) definitely one of the most iconic moments of the first season yeah yeah, I don't know. Really yeah, I don't. I mean, it just, it's just. I don't really. I'm just. I just don't know really what else to say about it. I just have to say, Bradley Whitford brings this home. He, yes. The pain and suffering and loss and dismay that are all written on his face when, when Mark walks in and gives him the news, you just see him break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really feel like in in a, the hands of a less talented actor. This whole thing would have been over. This whole thing would have been over dramatic, and 
he would have, someone else might have, would probably have overacted the shit out of what they gave him to do. It would have been Ham. Exactly. But thankfully, it's Josh Lyman to the rescue doing, doing his best acting thing. And just in the music and just, uh, the whole thing. I almost cried. Yep. This whole episode makes me want to cry. Like this whole episode is, is just, like I said, I watched this whole episode with, uh, like not in my stomach like I was just I was anxious the whole and part of that was because I've seen it before and I know how it ends but the other part of it is just how well they set it up they set it up they, they, they spend so much time with this one couple that is by comparison to some of the other things we've seen on the show to this point is going through this very mundane process like there's literally nothing bad happens until everything bad happens it's it's going so well they're joking they're like casual she's making jokes with carter like it's this very like casual thing that you're sitting there watching it and you're going they would not be spending this much time on this boring of a patient if something awful is not about to happen and so you spend the whole time dreading that awfulness and i felt terrible because we get we we're sitting down to watch it and I'm I'm raiding on Sunday night on WoW, and Lizzie sits down to watch it first just to kind of be like, okay, I just want to watch this one because it's a really good one. Daniel says it's a really good one that's a heavy hitter. I want to I wanna sit down and watch it before we take our notes. And the minute it started, I was like, oh, God, no, not this one. And Lizzie's like, I don't remember what happens. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, sweetie, I'm sorry. Didn't spoil it for her, but I was just like, oh, God. Yeah, most of my rewatches, like when I'm just going back and sort of cherry picking individual episodes, mostly comes from like season like five or six on, generally. So I don't have a huge memory of this whole first season. So a lot of the stuff has just been sort of, oh, it's just been a nice little fresh, semi-fresh to me. Because like I knew something, I knew she died, but like I didn't know how she died. Yeah, I when I was when I started the episode, like I said, I knew I'd seen obviously this before and I knew it ended badly for green, but I actually went in with the expectation that both mother and baby were going to die. And so that was sort of a, a little twist on the end, it, which almost in a way almost made it worse. Like the fact that like this, you know, yes, you succeeded on one side of it, but are you responsible now for the mothers? I don't know. The whole thing is just like, it's just awful. <laughs> just at what cost? Yeah. Yeah. And we have a little time skip and we pan down to Mark. Mark is just in the trauma room standing over Mrs. O'Brien's body. And just somber music is playing in the background. And throughout, just remember throughout this next audio clip, Mark is just deadpan staring either at Carter or at Mrs. O'Brien. And the sound you'll hear at the end is just him walking out. So let's give that a listen. It's very short. Dr. Green. Dr. Green. I uh, just wanted to say to or to tell you that um, I thought what you did was a heroic thing.
I failed to mention, you know, back in the trauma room when they pronounce her dead, like Green's take there, and it extends into this scene here, like his take there, it almost looks like if you've ever seen those pictures of like soldiers from like World War One and Two where they're shell shocked, like and they're just like the thousand yard stare and they're he's like sweating and breathing heavily because he's been doing CPR for an hour. Like he looks shell shocked. He looks like he has been to war. And that kind of extends into this scene as well. Like he is just he's like catatonic. Like he has just complete his body has just like shut down all of his emotions and it just internalized all of it. And it's just, and he doesn't have to say a word and it's just so powerful. I just love the And I just love that Mark, that Carter's trying, he's trying to do anything because he can clearly, anyone with half a brain can clearly see just how much this has affected him. This has affected Mark. Right. And Carter admires him and steps up to the plate to try and give him something. Yeah. Yeah, this was a strange. So I, I'm, I, I, you know, backseat driving slash you know armchair quarterbacking here, but like, it almost seems like an interaction that would have been better. I mean, Carter does a good job with it. Don't get me wrong, but just in like canon wise, I almost feel like it's an inter- an interaction that would have been better served by Doug. You know that they are really that they're friends and that they're equals and that they are you know obviously obviously the substance of what he said would have been a little different it would not have been as reverent as Carter's is where he's like you know what you did was heroic and stuff like that like I could see Doug saying something to that effect but maybe not using the same words and I just feel like because I feel like Carter at least at at least this version of Carter I don't think this version of Carter would have been bold enough to even go in the room after something like that had happened you know carter in three or four years sure i could totally see that but this carter here i just i think he's too inexperienced i think he's too young i think he's too like awestruck by the moment that i don't think he would have had the courage to walk in that room and try to put the pieces back together you know and maybe that's a maybe that's a sign of growth i don't know but like i just feel like it's an interaction that you would have expected to see somebody more on green's level try to you know obviously we see susan here in a minute so i don't think she's necessarily the one to do it but it just seems like it it just seems like a moment that would have been ripe for doug who we haven't seen since the very beginning of the episode i'm gonna disagree with you on pretty much every single point there (laughs) (laughs) thanks luke sorry I i think it would have completely undermined the moment had had it been doug and that's fair. I think it would have, because Doug has not been there. Carter has been there every single step of the way. That is true. I can't argue that. And so Carter knows just to the what extent what happened. He knows exactly how much of Mark's heart and soul that has been poured into trying to save this woman's life. And she still died. And I don't think anyone besides maybe, like, you could maybe argue that that Carol maybe could have said something or Deb could have maybe said something, but it seems more out of character for Deb. Right. You know, I, I just love that it's Carter, and I feel like it does show a lot of growth, and I feel like it does show that, you know, he has started to mature a little bit. I think this is one of the first, like, big signs that's like, okay, we know who Carter is. We know 
where he's going. I think this is that another one of those first initial glimmers that we'll get more and more of as the seasons start to drag on. Sorry. Oh, and I was just going to say, and I think it's bookended nicely with the fact that it was such a mentor situation in the beginning that it ends with Carter stepping up and saying, hey, let me now support you. Let me now give you something back. All right. Yeah, I'd buy that. I would buy that. And then Mark just turns and leaves. Like you do when you're in shock. Yeah. So then we we are finally out of the hospital. Susan and Mark are walking up to the L platform. And Susan's trying to get him to go get breakfast. She's like, oh, they've got the greasiest eggs. Like, it's going to be great. Come get food. He's like, no, I got stuff to do. I got to go home. And then as they get on the platform and as he's boarding the train, Susan asks, is Jen home? But he's already on the brown line. So they don't have to acknowledge the fact that they already had his wife leave him. Um, yeah, and our final shot of the episode is Mark on the brown line, looking out the back for a second and then taking a seat and just leaning his head against the window and just everything finally hits him. And he just breaks down crying and I wanted to cry right along with mm-hmm. him. Why didn't Anthony Edwards get an award, man? So, yeah, so... <laughs> If you weren't already impressed enough with his performance in this episode, I'm going to take it one step further and make you that much more impressed with it. We've we've kind of peppered in throughout the run of this of the show to this point that they would go to Chicago a couple times a year and do like location or like establishing shots in Chicago, you know, a lot of times with the L specifically, and that that was kind of that was not an every episode sort of thing. You know, they would do it a couple of times a season and use that footage throughout the course of the season so as a result a lot of stuff was filmed out of order and this sequence here was filmed not only was it filmed out of order in the sense that it was filmed before this the rest of this episode was shot this sequence here was filmed before the episode was even finished being written so what this this sequence here of him crying on the L this it this was filmed before the episode was finished being written. So basically, they went to Chicago. They told Green uh, Anthony Edwards. They they basically said to him, "Look, uh, Mark's gonna have a really bad day that he wasn't expecting, and it's gonna really hit him hard, and it's gonna f- kind of fuck him up for a while. Uh, so you just need to find that. Like you need to find that within yourself." <laughs> and they shot it in one take. And boom, done. Like, and he did not even know he did not know any of the background because they didn't have any background to give him because it wasn't written yet, and he had no reference point what to go off of. And he turns in this fucking monster after one take, like, just incredible. Yeah, that's holy shit. I need wow. Okay, yep. <laughs> yeah, I had read that as well. So, it's. <sighs> I just love this episode so much. I think the best thing that you can say about this episode is that I think you could probably show this to anyone who, even if they're not a fan of ER, they'll be like, oh, wow, that was a really good episode of TV. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it wasn't just a good episode of ER. It was a great episode of TV in general. Yes. It was an extremely well-written, extremely well-paced, and extremely well-acted. I... Just piece of tv entertainment i really like it when we get these episodes that focus more on a central thread a lot more thoroughly Mm -hmm. like we kind of touched on earlier like this is an episode that's very 
uh, front loaded with the Gaga. Like it's very front loaded with the like goofy patience and the, the levity. And then we basically about halfway through the episode, we just like put a big old lid on the levity. Like there's, there's not going to be anything more than a like passing chuckle for the rest of this episode. And I think that's what makes it work so well is that, you know, we, we've talked about before how we've had these episodes that had very strong central themes and very strong central character stories, but they were being undercut by this stupid, like, you know, isn't, you know, the patient that pulls out his dentures, like, haha, that's funny. But like, you're undercutting the larger performance and the larger story here. And this one does it so perfectly. This one takes all that stuff and doesn't try to like take it away from you but just front loads it completely up to the front says all right here have your cake enjoy it because everything that comes after this is going to break your fucking heart and shit in your soul (laughs) and and it works so fucking well and you're right i mean it, it works perfectly if it wasn't for all the like mama benton exposition at the very beginning this would work perfectly as like a bottle episode this would work perfectly as like this self-contained story that you don't need to know any of the backstory you don't need to know anything about any of these characters beyond what's happening within it's it's almost like a play like it almost works perfectly self-contained within itself and it's just i can't say enough good things about it like this is far and away the best episode we've had so far it is like and especially coming off the, I mean, we we are we just came off a really good episode last week. So to follow that up with this is just man, like they have really hit their stride here. Um, like I would easily say this is prob this is my favorite episode of the season. I don't see anything coming after this after it this season topping it. But yeah, I just this this episode is amazing. All right, well that should just about wrap up our episode for today. Uh, thank you all very much for listening. We know it was kind of a heavy, sloggy one, so thanks for sticking with us. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. We are at SetTheToneER. We are on Facebook as well at Facebook.com slash SettingTheTonePodcast. And we are at SettingTheTonePodcast on Instagram. You can also support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash SettingTheTonePodcast. You can help your fellow patrons unlock bonus shows, including a special season recap episode coming up here pretty soon, folks. And as well as a monthly bonus show where we just sort of talk about what's ever is going on for us uh, sort of at the moment and as of episode 15 we are now including for all patrons access to our show notes so for price of a mcdonald's cup of coffee one dollar a month you can support us and you can also get a little bit of a peek behind the scenes as to what we're what we're thinking and what we've thought was important about these episodes our theme music today as always is provided by andrew edwards of blue police box music and daniel where can folks find you at uh, they can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is Y-O-U dot E-L. Uh, they can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, that I host with my co-host, Jake Terrell. We do a different pop culture topic each week and put it through a little mock trial. Not quite sure where we are. We're clo- we're rapidly closing in on our uh, upcoming kind of March Madness-esque thing where we're going to be doing a tournament of for to crown the worst sequel of all time. Uh, so we've got uh, some kind of crowdsourced opinions of what are some of the worst second entries in movie series of all time. And uh, we're going to sit down and watch all of them and kind of let our viewers or listeners rather let our listeners decide uh, which ones after we make some, you know, compelling arguments, let them decide which ones are going to move on to uh, be crowned the worst sequel of all time. If you have Matrix Reloaded on there, like I'm sure because the 
because stuff like that, whenever I hear about it, always it always seems to come I, up. I will have words. I for don't you. think it is. I I don't. Good. I don't know off the top of my head the full list, but some of the ones I know were on there were like um, the Boondock Saints sequel. Um, <laughs> Men in Black Two was on there for some reason, but I don't particularly agree with that as a worst of all time. I don't either. But it, somebody suggested it, so I and it got votes, so I put it in the. Uh, the bracket but yeah that'll all be coming out here very shortly awesome look forward to it and lauren where can folks find you at folks can find me live tweeting my rewatch of the west wing on twitter <laughs> at lobob92345 and i am also on twitter i am at random gamer that's g-a-m-3-r and thank you again everyone very much for listening and uh have a great week we'll see you in next week for episode number 20